If you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Luke chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 21. And we're going to take it all the way to verse 38. Luke chapter 2, starting uh, in verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple when the parents had brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are, you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And there was a prophetess, Anna, daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at the very hour, she began giving thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. Let's pray. Father, as we consider uh, this account that's been recorded for us by Luke, God, I pray that you help us glory in the things we should glory in. Help us to see what you are doing in Christ. Help us understand what Simeon is prophesying. And Lord, I pray you give us the heart of Anna that we too would speak of this one who is the hope of Israel and the hope of every Gentile. Father, uh, make this text practical to us, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. If the Gospel of Luke had ended before this text... 
someone might be able to conceive of baby Jesus or this child, this Christ child, in sentimental terms. Uh, I would bet that most Christians in America tend to view Jesus in a sentimental way. Uh, if you go to the local Christian bookstore, uh, you might see Jesus carrying a lamb on his shoulder, and it just gives you this peaceful feeling as you see that. You probably don't see Jesus treading the wine press of the wrath of God with blood dripping off the bottom of his robe. Both of those accounts are in Scripture. In fact, I think we are a prisoner of a culture that that uh, holds up sentimentality above almost anything else. Being serious in our culture is pretty much off limits. You're the one that's... Uh, Make you're you're the party crasher that ruins the party. If if you want to be serious, if you want to uh, talk in ways that uh, aren't uh, easy to listen to uh, to our soul. But I want us to consider the Christ the Bible gives us. Uh, I'll never forget John Piper in a sermon he preached. Uh, saying how often he'll get emails saying, why don't you just lighten up? How can you always have to be so serious? Why can't you talk uh, in a sense about Christ in a more soft, fluffy way? And I love Piper's response is, you know what? I don't like being hard in and of itself or speaking serious in and of itself. He said, I like nice and fluffy. In fact, his favorite chair is soft and feels nice. But he said, my problem is, when I go to the Scripture, that's not the Christ I find there. I see a Savior that's loving, but as strong as steel. And the example he gave was, was so vivid in my mind. The reality we live in, he said, was is war. We're in a war time. There's one that wants to devour our soul. In fact, our own hearts will destroy our soul. There's a spiritual battle going on all around us. And he said, imagine being in war and a bomb goes off right next to you and a car comes flying, lands on its end right next to you and is about to fall on you. He says, is what you really want at that moment a teddy bear? To say, oh, come for me, come for me. He says, no, what you need is a piece of steel you can put in the ground next to you and hold up so when the car comes to roll on you, it doesn't crush you. The Christ we get in the Scripture Yes, is a loving Christ. But He's not soft, and He's not fluffy. And I don't know if you can find any place in the Scripture that gives you the license to sentiment, make Him sentimental. 
That's not how He's given to us. And as we consider the birth of Christ, we've sang songs of joy, praising God for our Redeemer. And we ought to. But we also ought to realize the cost. What happens when Christ shows up on this earth? There's three things I want us to see. Uh, three subpoints in a sense, but the main thing I want you to know is this. Understand why Jesus is, emphasis on is, the most important aspect of your life. Now you might be thinking, how can you say that to a room of a hundred people? You don't know that Jesus is the most important aspect of their life. And I, what I'm saying is, you can know from this text that Jesus is the most important aspect of your life. Whether you believe in Him or not, He is the watershed baby. Everyone in this world's life is going to be defined, their destiny determined by Christ. So you maybe came in here this morning and said, Jesus is the most important aspect of my life. Or you may have come in here and just said, He is the most important aspect. And we're going to see three things. The first one is this. See the glory of Christ, the legal substitute. Look at verse 21 in Luke chapter 2. And remember what Luke has already said in chapter 1. He's organized this orderly account so that we may have certainty concerning the things taught of Christ. And one of the things Luke wants us to have certainty of is the fact that Jesus is born under the law as a real human being. Look at verse 21. And at the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Way back in Genesis 17, verse 12, God told Abraham, he who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. And Luke is screaming out, this is the seed of Abraham who was circumcised as an Israelite born under the law. And then in verse 22, look at what it says. And when the time came for their purification according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. You see the emphasis? Every male who is first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord a pair of turtle doves, or two young pigeons. So Joseph and Mary are doing what any Israelite couple would do with their firstborn male. Uh, in Leviticus, which is referred to here, chapter 12, uh, here's what the law speaks. Here's, here's what they're being faithful to. 
Leviticus 12, verse 1. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, If a woman conceives and bears a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. As at the time of her menstruation, she shall be unclean. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then she shall continue for 33 days in the blood of her purifying. She shall not touch anything holy nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purifying are complete. So that's what those days have been complete. Mary is uh, gone through her days of purifying. Her and Joseph have come to the temple. And, and then in verse 6 of Leviticus 12, it says this, And when the days of her purifying are completed, whether for a son or for a daughter, she shall bring to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting a lamb a year old for a burnt offering and a pigeon or a turtle dove for a sin offering. And he shall offer it before the Lord and make atonement for her. Then she shall be clean from the flow of her blood. This is the law for her who bears a child, either male or female. If she cannot afford a lamb, then she shall take two turtle doves or two, two pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. And the priest shall make atonement for her and she shall be clean. So Mary and Joseph show up at the temple. Her time of purification has uh, come and she's come to make her sacrifice. Uh, we know that Joseph and Mary didn't have much money or they would have brought a lamb. And so they brought the turtle doves. And, and here's what we read in verse, uh, 20. Our, and then in verse 27, in verses 39 and 40, we continue to see Luke emphasize the fact that they are here at the temple at this time to show us that Jesus is born under the law of Moses and the law of the Lord. Verse 27 says, he came in the spirit into the temple. This is Simeon. We're going to look at in a minute. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law. Then again in verse 39, when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. So why is it so important that Luke wants us to know that Jesus was born into the world as the seed of Abraham, as an Israelite child to live under the law of the Lord. The text Dave read at the beginning of our worship set gives us the answer. Here's what Paul says in Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. And I just want you to listen to this. This is so important. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. Alright. So what's the big deal? Why born under the law? To redeem those who were under the law so that they might receive adoption as sons. Here's the problem. The law of God convicts everyone in this room. We're all found guilty under the law of the Lord. None of us 
have kept one of the Ten Commandments. You might say, well, I've never murdered anyone. But Jesus said, if you've had hatred in your heart, you've murdered them in your heart. If you've had hatred towards someone else. Jesus says that if you look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery. All of us are found guilty under the law of the Lord. And what we need is a God-man, Jesus, someone born of a woman, born under the law to keep the law perfectly because Jesus came to be a substitute for you and for me. The only way Jesus can save you is if He was really human and He was really born under the law. And Jesus goes on to live a perfect life under the law. He's the only man who has never sinned. And He lived that perfect life so that He could, at the end of His life, willingly go to a cross and die to redeem you from your slavery to sin and the condemnation that hangs over everybody's head apart from Christ. Life in this world under the law of God as lawbreakers is sure condemnation. Not only physical death, but eternal death forever in hell. So Luke wants us to know that Jesus is the right one. He is the only one who can be that substitute and take our place. Second, in light of that good news, we ought to see the glory of Christ, the international light. We, we ought to see how Christ is not only glory to Israel, but a light to the nations internationally. Here's what we're told after Joseph and Mary come uh, to the temple. Verse 25, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. We're going to talk about that in a moment. And the Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, when I forget to start my stopwatch this long into a sermon, that can mean trouble for you. <laughs> what do we know about this Simeon, this devout and righteous man? To be a righteous man means that you're a just man and working with people horizontally. To be devout means that he fears God and tries to live according to the law of God. If I were to ask you if Simeon was young or old, what would you say? Almost everyone would say old, except we don't have any reason to know that he's old. Except that it seems like he's waiting to die. And that may or may not mean uh, what the text says. Here's what it, let me read it again. 
This man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation uh, of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Lord's Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So we don't know how the Spirit showed him that he wouldn't die before he saw the consolation of Israel, the Christ. But he knew that that was going to be that in his life. He could be 40 years old as far as we know. We don't know how old Simeon was. But Simeon, as we're going to see in a moment, cannot die in peace. Or, or what he said is, now I can die in peace after I've seen uh, the Lord's uh, Christ what does he mean that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel? Because we see, we're going to see this throughout Luke. It's all throughout the scriptures. What does that mean? It means the comfort of Israel. See, Israel has not been in a comfortable situation for a long time. They have been under the oppression of their enemies and under the judgment of God for a long time, but the prophets kept speaking of this time of comfort. So if you were a good Israelite that trusted God, the thing you're waking up for is, come on, let the comfort come. We're waiting for the Christ that's going to bring the comfort. Let me just give you some examples from the prophet Isaiah that prophesied of their coming exile, but also of the coming comforter. Isaiah 40, verse 1. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to, to Jerusalem. Cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The prophet says, there's going to be one coming. John the Baptist is going to come and he's going to point to one that's going to bring comfort, pardon from sin. And then uh, nine chapters later, Isaiah 49, verse 13, Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing, for the Lord has comforted His people and will have compassion on the afflicted. And then two chapters later, Isaiah 51, 3, for the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Six chapters after that, Isaiah 57, verse 17. Because of, and this one's amazing, just listen to this. Because of the iniquity of this, un, of his unjust gain, I was angry and I struck him. I hid my face and was angry. But he went on backsliding in the way of his own heart. I have seen his ways. So here's Israel, the stubborn, rebellious Israel that keeps backsliding. But look at what God does. I have seen his ways, but I will heal him. I will lead him and restore I will lead him and restore comfort to him and to his mourners, creating the fruit of the lips. Peace, peace to the far and to the near, says the Lord. I will heal him. 
and I could show you so many more. But Simeon is waiting for comfort to come. He's waiting to find out how iniquities are going to be taken care of by the Christ. He's waiting to see how he's going to be delivered from his enemies. And so he's waiting for the comfort of Israel. And then verse 27 says, and he came in the spirit into the temple when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation. So Simeon knows by the Holy Spirit that this is the Christ. And he could be an old man waiting to die. We don't know. And he could say, now I can die in peace. Or he could be a 40-year-old man saying, now I know how I can die with my iniquities in peace because I see the substitute for my sins. And that's the question actually I have for you. Have you ever seen Jesus that way? Have you ever seen Jesus in such a way that you could say, now, now I can die in peace? Whether you're 85 or 15 or 8. Do you know Jesus in such a way? Do you know His comfort that on your worst day you can say, oh, there's peace. You can't take what the Christ brings to me and what He's done for me. And then in verse 31, it says this, For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. And here's the shocker. All peoples? And then He says, A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. Here's what Israel knew. Israel got to see the glory of God over and over and over and over again. And what that did to the most of their hearts is they said, we must be special. God shows us His glory in the cloud when we're in the wilderness. He shows us His glory as He provides manna. He shows us His glory as the cloud is around the mountain when Moses is getting the commandments. He shows us His glory in Moses' face as He comes down and it's shining. What the Israelites knew is that God was especially showing them glory. But Simeon prophesies that this Christ was prepared for all the people. For the Gentiles. A light for the Gentiles. This child that's born is going to shine past Israel into all nations, into every tribe, tongue, and nation. Look at what it's, look at, look at how he says it. That you've prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. When Paul 
formerly Saul was becoming Paul as, as Christ revealed himself to him and, and he got his commission in as an apostle to the Gentiles. Here's, here's what Acts 26, 18 says about that. Paul's commission was to the Gentiles to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they may receive forgiveness of sins in a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Paul was to speak, to shine this light to the Gentiles to say there's a place for you. Through faith, there's a place for you and there's forgiveness for your sins. Anyone who's not a Christian is living under the power of Satan. They're deceived. Satan's saying, you're your own God. Go do what you want. Or he'll hold up a false God for them to follow. They're enslaved to the sin of their own hearts. But there's good news. A light shines to all the nations in this child. This child is going to shine much further than Israel. So a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people, Israel. Uh, Israel saw special glory and they thought what was special about it is that it was specifically to them they thought that's what made it special but when they when they see the full glory of god in the person of jesus christ what they see is a glory that goes everywhere and so this is a reality uh his being light to the gentiles does not diminish israel's glory but rather, it's its full realization, Leon Morris says. The full realization of glory is to Israel is when they see that Christ is for all the nations, for all the people. You do not know the glory of God if you think God is especially with the United States of America. That's small glory. Until you know God's heart is for the nations, for the tribes that you would think are stupid because they're illiterate and because they don't know about diseases, Christ is for them. If you want to know the glory of God, you need to know the heart of God, that God is for all the nations. If you're not about missions, you're not about the glory of God. You don't see the glory of Christ. And by the way, you want to be a Christian. Probably none of you are Jews in here, maybe, but I don't know of any. Which means the light has come to you so that you could be saved, so that you can have a place in God's family, so that you could be adopted as sons. In John 1.10, I think uh, John tells us about how this glory showed up on earth in the person of Christ. And I just want you to hear what he says in the context of, uh, of this passage. So in John 
Here's what he writes. He, being Jesus, was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. And he came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. So he came to Israel, they didn't receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You want to know when Jesus' glory is put on display? Right after John talks about he came to the world, his world rejected him. He came to his own, they rejected him. But there's some that received him. And the shocker is, it's beyond the people of Israel. Those who were born of God are the ones who received him. And that's when Christ's glory is spoken of. So one of the things you need to think of when you think of the glory of Christ is the fact that His light shines to the world. And the reason why Jesus is glory to Israel is because He Himself is born as Abraham's seed. He's one of their kind. And the fact that His mercy extends to the end of the earth. So glory in the Christ of international light that shines beyond all borders. Third, see the glory of Christ, the controversial litmus test. How is Jesus Christ a controversial litmus test? How is He a watershed baby? How is it that I can say that Jesus is the most significant person in your life. Look at verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So what does this mean? What is he saying here? In verse 34, where he says, Behold, this child is appointed for the fallen rising of many in Israel. He means one of two things, and both of these things are true. And commentators uh, differ on. But if he has in mind one person, when he says, the fall and rise of one specific person, what he's saying is, uh, unless people lose all their pride in their own spiritual achievement and in a sense fall, there's no place for them. They must fall and take the lowly place, then they can be raised. So Jesus Christ, what it, what it could be saying, is Jesus Christ came to humble you so that you fall on your face and say, I am a sinner. I could never keep the law of God. My only hope is mercy and grace. So a person falls down in humility and then God raises them up in Christ. 
which would fit with the themes we've already seen in Luke as Mary prophesied that this child that's going to be born is going to bring down the proud and raise up the humble. Or what he could have in mind is that Jesus Christ came for those that will trust in him, humbly trust in him. He'll raise them up and those who oppose him, he will give them eternal destruction. In a sense, they will fall. But what I want you to see is that he is a sign that is opposed. This child, it's prophesied that you're either going to love him or reject him. You're either going to watch him live his life and listen to his message and watch him die on a cross and you're either going to reject him or love him. You're either going to trust in him or treat him as insignificant in your life. But what we're told is that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. All God needs to know about your life in, a, in an eternal perspective is how do you treat Christ? As the light shines to you, as you hear about Christ, what do you do with Him? See, the biggest atheist on the face of the earth his heart is going to be revealed by Christ. For all eternity, that atheist is going to have to think about how he ran into Christ and ended up in eternal destruction in hell as he rejected God's Son. Christ is the most important aspect of your life, either for your falling or for your rising. He's not fluffy, fluffy Jesus. He's the lion and He's the lamb. He comes and He preaches peace and then He promises that He's going to rule with the rod of iron. He talks about uniting you to a real family and separating you from your biological family. This is the Christ that Simeon prophesies about. And as joyous as Mary feels about the fact she's giving birth to the Son of God, she is told that a sword is going to pierce through her soul as she stands there at the foot of the cross. And as Jesus is dying on the cross, Jesus looks at John and says, Son, see your mother. Mother, see your son. Her heart, because of this child, is going to experience pain almost unimaginable. The birth of Jesus brought about the death of who knows how many babies in Bethlehem as Herod had all the male children under two years old slaughtered. All hell breaks loose when light and life breaks into the world. Death takes action and we're in the battle. And the light is shining out. And the question is, is what do you do with 
this Christ? What do you do with Him in your own life? Do you humbly fall down and say, He's my only hope. He is my only hope. Apart from Christ, I stand no chance of standing before Him. My prayer is is that you glory in this Christ that will be the litmus test of your life. He will reveal all things about you. He'll reveal all things about me and show me to be a sinner. But if I cling to Him, He'll say, He's mine. I was a substitute for Him. I lived a perfect life in His place. Simeon is speaking about what Isaiah prophesied in Isaiah 8.14. Here's, here's what the Christ is spoken about the Christ. He'll become a sanctuary. Well, that's a place of safety, of refuge. He'll become a saint, sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel and a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and many will will stumble on it. They shall fall and be broken, and they'll be snared and taken. Daryl Box says, Jesus will divide the nation in two. Someone will respond and others will oppose. That means He'll be a sign that will be spoken against. People will contend against and about Jesus. The road of promise fulfillment is not smooth. To identify with Jesus will bring pain because many will reject Him. Jesus Christ is a stumbling block. Have you ever hit your toe when you're barefoot on the corner of like the coffee table or something? And you stumble and you maybe say some words you shouldn't say. (laughs) That's the experience of Jesus to those who have not been given the eyes to see that He is the only hope of salvation for them. Look at verse 36. And let's just end with Anna's uh, words here. And there was a prophetess, Anna, who, by the way, this is really rare because there hasn't been a prophet in Israel for nearly 400 years. Uh, the Talmud uh which is a recognized Jewish history, only had recognized up to this point seven prophetesses only. So when when we think of Anna the prophetess, it's not like they were everywhere in Israel. But here's this unique old lady. Here's, here's, here's what's said about her. The daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. This was a tribe that has been scattered, but evidently there's some remnants. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. So for seven years she was married. Then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began giving thanks to God and to speak of Him being Christ to all who were waiting 
for the redemption of Israel, of Jerusalem. So she spoke peace to Israel saying, here's your comfort. Here's your redemption. This Christ child. My prayer is, is that you come to grips with the reality that Jesus is the most important reality in your life. If you decide to ignore Him now, you'll run into Him later on Judgment Day. And you will experience the wrath of God at the hand of Christ. Or you can hear the good news, the light that your sins can be pardoned, that this is your Savior. No, He's not little sentimental, Jesus. But here's your Savior. He's come to live a life under the law, to die under the law, so that you can be found not guilty and have His righteousness before God. Please do not leave here without clinging to your only hope. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I pray that as other things vie for first place in our life, even as Christians, help us remember what is most significant in our life, that Christ always is and always will be our only hope. He'll determine our destiny. Lord, I pray that we would love Him as He is worthy to be loved. Lord, we thank You for forgiveness of sins in Him. Father, I pray that You would draw any heart in here that maybe knows they're lost. Maybe they know they've never valued Christ. Father, I pray that they would know that Your love is on display as You send Your Son. Uh, Father, I pray that they would know that they can be adopted right into Your family to gain Your inheritance. Father, give them faith. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.